Blog Talk Radio. Psalm 82, a psalm of Asaph. God standeth in the congregation of the mighty. He judgeth among the gods. How long will ye judge unjustly and accept the persons of the wicked? Selah. Defend the poor and fatherless. Do justice to the afflicted and needy. Deliver the poor and needy. Rid them out of the hand of the wicked. They know not, neither will they understand. They walk on in darkness. All the foundations of the earth are out of course. I have said, Ye are gods, and all of you are children of the Most High. But ye shall die like men, and fall like one of the princes. Arise, O God, judge the earth, for thou shalt inherit all nations. Well, hello everyone, this is uh, Kennard Brown speaking. I'm your host for the uh, Merciful Service of God Biblical Instructional Program. Today is uh, June 18th, one day before uh, Father's Day. And the time is uh, 9.01 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. Of course, this is uh, the Sabbath, uh, Shabbat. Uh, to any uh, Jews that are listening to me that uh, are either Messianic or Orthodox or uh, any Christians that uh, acknowledge the Sabbath as commanded of God and and celebrate it, happy Sabbath, happy Shabbat. And for those who are just learning, continue to listen. Well, this has been an eventful week for me. Um, Last time I spoke to you guys, I had a fully functional arm. Um, and, uh, unfortunately, I broke my arm, and, uh, I think I misunderstood a scripture where it says the righteous, uh, none of their bones would be broken. Obviously, that's referring to Jesus, because we know that on the cross, uh, you know, the, the guy, one of the guys on the cross said, remember me in your kingdom, uh, then Christ said, uh, you'll be with me in paradise, so, if you understand Jewish tradition, paradise means, uh, heaven. Uh, the, the place where God dwells in, in the righteous. And so we do know also that the scriptures state that uh, their bones were broken. But his bone wasn't broken, but the, the, the other the people on the cross' bones were broken. So obviously, <laughs> in that context, it doesn't mean that uh, just because you're righteous, uh, your bones aren't broken. Also, let's remember now, uh, Jesus stated that Yochanan or Yochanan, can't remember how to exactly pronounce it in Hebrew, but uh, John the Baptist, his head was chopped off. Now, you know, when your head is cut off, you got to break a bone to to cut the head off, right? So, I mean, your 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 neck is connected to your head, and to cut the head off, you got to definitely uh, break the bone. And then, on top of that, in the Book of Revelation, it talks about all the beheadings, right? So, the beheadings had something to do with bones being broken. So. So obviously, uh, I misunderstood that scripture, and perhaps a lot of you have as well. In reference to that, you can be righteous and have your bones broken. Okay, and then another thing too. There's quite a few wicked people on the earth that has never gotten their bones broken, and yet uh, they have died without their bones broken. Uh, are they considered righteous immediately because they don't have their bones uh, broken? So let's use a little common sense there. So anyway, be uh, praying for me. Uh, unfortunately, it looks like I'm not, well, I guess fortunately, 
I have to have surgery and um, get a titanium screw put uh, near my wrist. And I've been looking up to see whether or not uh, the titanium, uh, any debris, would affect my system. It doesn't appear that it would. So and I've uh, studied some comments about people having this, and it seems to be no issue. So, so there are some positive things about the medical industry, uh, the medical profession. Uh, it's not all negative. Uh, it's just that I, I do recommend people, and I live this way myself. I don't raise my hand for surgery unless it's a, from what they're telling me, all the experts are saying that a, if I don't get surgery, it's a possibility that I would be deformed for the rest of my life, you know, and I wouldn't be able to type or do anything uh, and do the normal things that I do, like weightlifting and so forth. So, yeah, based on that, and I prayed to God that I wouldn't need the surgery. I know he can still pull off a miracle before the surgery, but it looks like he wants me to go through it. So I can't question his uh, wisdom in that area. Uh, I don't believe that he'll have me go through something that's not safe, that's not effective, that will not heal this. So if he determines, and like I said, it, it still could be by Wednesday he would totally heal this, uh, in a miraculous way. If he doesn't, then he's going to use the doctors to heal it in a miraculous way. Regardless, healing is a miracle, and only God can heal. It's like I spoke to the doctor the other day, Friday. He agrees. You know, only only God can heal anything. All the doctors are going to do is put it in in, in place. The shattered bones that I have uh, in my wrist area are going to be put back together again through screws, and um, God is going to heal it from there. But only thing the doctors can do is set it up in a way where God can heal. That's all they can do. And all we can do to take care of ourselves is to consume a proper diet. Uh, remember, in the beginning, uh, everyone was a vegetarian. Everyone ate vegetables. It's only because of sin that eventually we started eating meat. So vegetable diet is very important, and the Bible talks about herbs, that they can be used for medicine, and so forth. So um, that should be your diet. Basically, it should consist of mostly vegetables. You should uh, eat fish maybe three or four times a week, salmon or any fish that has fins and scales, and uh, occasionally chicken, occasionally turkey. Definitely occasionally red meat. You know, I, I try to eat red meat maybe one or two times a month. Uh, and then the red meat should be fully cooked. It shouldn't have any blood in it at all. Uh, that refers to any of your meats and fish. And then, of course, exercise. Uh, you should, uh, what I was doing prior to this, I was exercising, uh, weightlifting at least one to two times. You should actually do three. But uh, if you can do three times a week for 30 or 45 minutes and do, do cardio, if you can afford to get your treadmill, if not, go to your local gym uh, and have a membership and, and get on the treadmill and run maybe 30 minutes uh, for three or four times a week. If you do those things, uh, you will have a healthy body. And you need to pay attention to the health laws in Leviticus chapter 11 and Deuteronomy chapter 14 that are listed. Uh, there's certain foods that God does not want us to eat. Pork is one of them. Uh, that we have a pork obsession here in this country, and by consumption of pork, it can cause cancer, and it can cause, of course, high blood pressure and everything else. 
uh, our diets here in this country really consist of too much meat. We eat too much meat, and we eat too much of the fat on the meat. And we shouldn't be eating the fat at all. We should try to avoid as much fat as possible, according to God's law. And when you do that, that's the reason why I think the number one cause of death outside of abortions is um, heart failure. And because of that, the reason why that's the case is because we, most of us, a lot of us, uh, don't eat right. And then we're, we have a sedentary lifestyle where we don't do anything. We just sit all day and so forth. Uh, in my situation, you know, I'm in pretty good shape for 45 years old, slightly overweight. Um, I was weightlifting, and probably because of the shape I'm in, I w- I'm not in worse shape than what I already am, you know. But because uh, I took a big fall, and uh, I, I did a somersault, basically. Not a somersault in the air, but on the ground. And I uh, have little nicks and bruises and so forth. So I thank God that he preserved me there. And uh Good thing about it when I, when I look at the X-rays, uh, I don't have any major bones broken. It's just in this wrist area, so that's the good news for me. But please, uh, I need your prayers. Please pray that uh, this operation goes okay for me, and that I'm restored to 100% perfect health as far as uh, movability and flexibility of, of the wrist and the hand. Because uh, what I do outside of this, I'm a marketing consultant, and uh, I do write a lot, and I. Uh, was planning to attend WAM. Well, I've been accepted at Columbia Southern University. I'm studying for a doctorate in business administration uh, degree for the next four or five years, and this kind of put a stop on that, even though I'm reconsidering maybe starting anyway. If I can get someone to help me type uh, my papers, I should be able to, to uh, do it. I have to just think about it, and I'm going to talk to instructors and see how many papers and how many pages I have to write. And if it's not too much, then I should, I might be able to do it. But be praying that I can start as soon as possible with this. So I'm just telling you this because uh, any believer that they have a situation like mine should ask other believers to pray uh, for their particular situation. So if you don't know what's going on in my life, how can you pray for it? So. Uh, so that's it. That's enough for me. I just uh, wanted to let you know. Um, not every <laughs> every you know, everyone in the, in the world doesn't break their bones every day. So uh, this is uh, I can tell you right now, breaking a bone is not comfortable for those who have not done it. Uh, my advice to you, based on this experience, uh, don't run in parking lots. <laughs> Actually, it's, it's not really advisable to run on a concrete surface for play unless uh, you're doing it for athletics you know you you had the proper gear you're trained for it for racing track and all that you know that's different but just going out and running on the surface that you don't know whether or not has been prepared to run that's not advisable so i'm just telling you that and don't overexert yourself don't try to go so fast that your body is telling you hey what you're doing you know it's kind of like driving a car and you know the speed limit uh, you look at the uh forgot what they call it but you look on the thing on the car it tells you how fast you're going right uh, well if you go try to push the pedal past 200 miles what's going to happen the car is going to blow up right or whatever you know so huh it's going to go out of control and that's what happened to me you know i, I tried to go faster you know i thought i was i don't know if you guys are old enough but 
I guess I was I thought I was a six million dollar man, you know, uh, going faster, 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 you know. It didn't happen. I mean, all of a sudden, you know. So you know that that's what it is, and I'm just telling you guys this, and I, I try to whatever experience I go through, and if there's anything I learn from, it, I try to share it. So anyway, enough of me, and uh, we're gonna talk about. Well, let me see. As far as what's going on in the world right now, it's not good. You know, the financial situation is getting worse uh, and worse. Uh, now, you guys heard about this wiener thing and all that. People's joking around, but this is not funny. This guy's a Jew. He should know better, just based on that alone. And he's this is this is unusual, but he's married an Arab. And let's understand now, Ishmael is a part of Abraham, so in a sense, they're related. So, but given the situation in the Middle East, that's kind of unusual for a Jew to marry an Arab. So that's pretty interesting. On top of that, now of course she's not taking this news very well. I wouldn't either, you know. So she she wasn't with him when he gave his he finally gave his uh, letter of resignation or his resignation. It took the president saying, "Hey, I wouldn't, I would resign." So of course if the president, <laughs> if the president said it, of course I must do it. So that's what he did it to make things politically uh, a little more easier for Barack Obama to be elected president, or so he hopes. But, you know, the, the thing about people that do that, I mean, he, he took a picture of his anatomy. You know what I'm talking about, his anatomy. And he sent it uh, over the Internet and for other people to look. I mean, you, you get to that point, you've got a serious problem. I mean, whether you're married or not, you got a serious problem doing that. It's a sin to expose your body parts other than to your wife or your husband. So I'm I'm glad he's seeking treatment, but what kind of treatment he really needs is God's treatment. So we need to pray for this poor guy, you know, and help him to repent of his wickedness. We all have sin, but his sin has been exposed, and because it's been exposed, I'm aware of it, and you are aware of it, and we need to pray for the poor guy. He definitely needs help. And let's hope through this resignation that he becomes a better person and becomes stronger and he'll be able to teach other people the pitfalls of this and why they shouldn't do it and uh, to avoid it totally. See, what else has happened in the news? Uh, Well, we're having wildfires. We're having all kinds of garbage uh, weather-wise happening in this country. Um... They're having this uh, trial about this woman that uh, I forgot her name, Casey. What was her name? Casey? What was her name? I forgot her name. But anyway, she uh, looks like she murdered her daughter and all that, and then she's of course trying to weasel her way out of it or whatever. And they're having a trial about that. And but basically, things are pretty quiet in the world, and when they're quiet, things happen. So <laughs> just let you know, uh, it's like every time when not too much happens, something happens, you know. So uh, just be prepared. That's all I'm telling you. And uh, Try to cut back as much as you can financially. I know it's tough to be debt-free. Believe me, me and my wife have understood that. And if you are in debt, just manage it properly. Just pay your bills on time and and do the best you can. And and always try to improve yourself. Always try to, it's like I'm doing. I'm going for a doctor's degree. uh, And you don't have to go for a doctor's degree. I mean, you could just develop additional skills that, that can generate income. Just don't, 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 get to see the thinking you just have to have a college degree to be successful i mean there's other things that you can do you can 
have a copywriting career through AWAI. Just type in AWAI, and they have various courses to teach you how to be a salesman by the typewriter. A, a, uh, it's a very lucrative field. And you can train yourself to do that without a college degree. Uh, you can be an auto mechanic, you can be a plumber, you can be a computer programmer. All three of those fields you don't need a college degree for. Okay, so um, if you need more information about this, go to my website. And I think, let me go there here real quick. Because this is important. People, I know people, uh, many people are not really satisfied with uh, their jobs. So uh, that that's uh, statistically proven. And if you go to my website, mercifulservantsofgod.com, and you go to job training, if you click on that, you'll get to, um, I would say, the most experienced, and it's definitely the largest accredited school of independent study, meaning that all the courses are correspondence or what they call today online learning. It's a Penn Foster Career School. And they have various different uh, programs, uh, all kinds of stuff. Uh, auto repair technician. Uh, if you're not, if you don't consider yourself college degree material, there's other things that you can take that could generate just as much income as a college graduate. So I'm just telling you th- these things because a true believer should be concerned about people's livelihood, should be concerned about them. I mean, Christ said it. He came that you may have life, and not just have life, but more abundantly. Part of having an abundant life is generating a livable income. Livable. Not barely income, but livable income. Income that you know you can pay your bills and expenses and so forth. God doesn't want you to have to struggle like that. He wants to provide you for what, what you need and, and, and sufficient for your needs. And he's promised to do that. But we have to do our part. We have to study. We have to continue to improve ourselves. We just can't say, okay, well, i got my college degree. Everything's okay. I got this job and I've had it for 20 years. I don't need to retrain myself. I don't. I don't. You know, everything's okay, and that's 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 a reactive attitude, because I've heard many stories, more often than not, of people that have had jobs for 10 or 15 years, and they assume that everything would be okay. Then all of a sudden they get the pink slip. Uh, we got to fire you. Uh, sales aren't coming in like we think, and then they're stuck, and they're like. What can I do now? I mean, so that's the reason why you have to be proactive. You have to continuously educate yourself and look for better opportunities in this very competitive environment of the 21st century to reduce the chances of being in a situation like that when you're laid off a job that you have depended on for several years and you don't, and you have not updated your skills, you have not uh, furthered your education to make yourself more attractive, in the marketplace. So don't make that mistake. So anyway, got one hour and ten minutes. Let's go over the Torah readings. Uh, it's not too much else unless you can remind me, Sheree, anything else in the world going on significant? Not too much. Okay. All right. Yeah, it's pretty quiet right now, and that's when, <laughs> like I said, it seems like I hope I'm wrong, but I don't think so. Uh, when things are quiet, crazy things happen out of nowhere, so. Uh, just be prepared just in case it does again. But anyway. All right, well, my wife is saying at the UN, let me I don't, I, let me just type this in and make sure because it kind of sounds strange, but I wouldn't be surprised. The UN, what now? 
Okay, Pastor Gabriel. Let's see, Pastor Gabriel.
Verse 4, have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female? This is in the context of marriage, because divorce is the opposite of marriage, right? Anyway, therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife again. Wife? How can you be a wife without a marriage, right? And the two shall become one flesh. In other words, marriage, okay? So they are no longer two, but one flesh, and... More often than not, married couples don't seem to understand this. When you're married, you're, you're a union. God looks at you as a union. He doesn't look at you as two separate fleshes. He looks at you as a union. That's what the sex act represents. When you know what goes into the know what, you know what, right? That's a union. That's what that act represents. You have become one. You share everything, and I mean everything. Your successes, your your failures, your pain, your agony, everything. If you're not willing to do that, don't get married, folks. That's all i got to say about that. And I don't think people know what they're getting themselves into when they get married. What therefore God has joined together represent, represents the sex act again because uh, the sex organs join together, right? right? Let not man separate. And here's the problem today. This is a prophecy. Man is trying to separate that union. How is he trying to do that? He's saying that it's okay Oh, he's trying to anyway. Say it's okay, what well, he is doing, is is okay for two men and two women to join together. And what does God say? What does Jesus say? He's saying, what, what are you talking about? He's not even mentioning that uh, a male and a male or a female and a female is one flesh. Okay? And man is trying to separate that. He's trying to destroy that institution that God and Yeshua approves of. Verse 7, they said to him, Why didn't Moses command one to give a certificate of divorce and send her away? He said to them, Because of your hardness of heart, Moses allowed you to divorce your wives. But from the beginning, that's the third time he said wives in this context of Scripture. But from the beginning, it was not so. All right, so anyway, the point of the matter is, I'm going to use, G I always use Matthew 19 because you have these people, Oh, Leviticus says this and this, this. Well, this is pretty clear. Your Lord and Savior, who you worship, states that marriage is between a man and a woman. Don't you dare say that he said otherwise. Being gay is wrong, according to these scriptures. And I'm not condemning gay people, and neither is God. But we both hope you repent of that wickedness. If anyone is listening to me, that is gay. Because according to your Lord and Savior, if you are a Christian, According to your Lord and Savior, it is wrong. He does not consider two males and two females one flesh. And that's thus says the Lord, based on this. All right, so I address the gay issue again, as I must. And, you know, in a uh, calm and loving manner. I try to do that best of my ability. Okay, so anyway, let's go... Uh, the title of this Bible study is The Twelve Spies and Trust in God. So let's turn to Numbers, chapter 12, no, chapter 13, rather. I'm going to read this whole thing. All right? And I'm reading this in the English Standard Version. Numbers 13, verse 1. The Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Send men to spy out the land of Canaan, which I am giving to the people of Israel, 
From each tribe of the fathers you shall send a man, not a woman, every one a chief among them. So Moses sent them from the wilderness of Paran, according to the command of the Lord, all them men who were heads of the people of Israel. Now you notice that he's not saying any women were the heads of the people of Israel. And these were the names from the tribe of Reuben, Shammua, the son of Zechur, from the tribe of Simeon, Shaphat, the son of Hori, from the tribe of Judah, Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, from the tribe of Issachar, Igal, the son of Joseph, from the tribe of Ephraim, Hosea, the son of Nun, from the tribe of Benjamin, Palti, the son of Raphu, from the tribe of Zebulun, the son of Sadi, from the tribe of um, Joseph, that is, from the tribe of Manasseh, Gadi, the son of Susi, from the tribe of Dan, Amaliel, the son of Gimeli, from the tribe of Asher, Sotha, the son of Michael, from the tribe of Nephetili, Navi, the son of Vashbi, from the tribe of Gad, Gerald, the son of Machai. These were the names of the men whom Moses sent to spy out the land of Moses called Hosea, the son of Nun, Joshua. Now, notice uh, Caleb came from the tribe of Judah, and Joshua came from the tribe of Ephraim, which is uh, pretty interesting. I don't know what that noise is, but uh, I'll just get along with it, I guess. I'll deal with it. But anyway, verse 17, Moses sent them to spy out the land of Canaan and, and said to them, Go up into the... Go up into the Negev and go up into the hill country and see what the land is and whether the people who dwell in it are strong or weak, whether they are few or many, and whether the land that they dwell in is good or bad, and whether the cities that they dwell in are camps or strongholds, and whether the land is rich or poor, and whether there are trees in it or not. Be of good courage and bring some of the fruit of the land. Now the time was the season of the first ripe grapes. So they went up and spied out the land from the wilderness of Zen to Rahab near Lebo Hamath. They went up into Negev and to Hebron, Ammon, Sheshai, and Talmai. The descendants of Anak were there. Hebron was built seven years before Zoan in Egypt. And they came to the valley of Eshgor and cut down from there a branch with a single cluster of grapes. And they carried it on a pole between two of them. They also bought some pomegranates and figs. That place was called the Valley of Eshgor because of the cluster that the people of Israel cut down from there. At the end of 40 days, they returned from spying out the land, and they came to Moses and Aaron and to all the assembly or congregation of the people of Israel in the wilderness of Paran at Kadesh. They brought back word to them and all the congregation and showed them the, the fruit of the land. Now, remember, congregation means assembly. And they told him, We came to the land to which you sent us. It flows with milk and honey, and this is its fruit. However, the people who dwell in the land are strong, and the cities are fortified and very large. And besides, we saw the descendants of Anak there. The Amalekites dwell in the land of Negev. The Hittites, the Jebusites, and the Amorites dwell in the hill country. And the Canaanites dwell by the sea and along the Jordan. But Caleb quieted the people before Moses and said, Let us go up at once and occupy it, for we are well able to overcome it. So he's of the tribe of Judah, and he's saying, hey, you know, he's having courage. Courage is the ability to... Uh, face your fears and do what you, what what you know you have to do despite the fear. That's what courage is, and definitely men and women should have that. Verse thirty one. Then the men who had gone up with him said, "We are not able to go up against the people, for they are stronger than we are." So they bought a bought to the people of Israel a bad report or a lie for for of, of the a bad report of the land that they had spied out, saying the land though which 
we have gone to spy it out is the land of devourers inhabitants and all the people we saw in it are of a great height. And there were and there we saw the Nephilim, the sons of Anak who come from the Nephilim, and we seemed to ourselves like grasshoppers and so we seemed to them. So they over exaggerated or lied about the situation. Chapter fourteen of Numbers. <coughs> Excuse me. Then all the congregation raised a loud cry, and the people wept that night. And all the people of Israel grumbled against Moses. We go again with the grumbling and complaining. Against Moses and Aaron, the whole congregation said to them, Would that we had died in the land of Egypt, or would that we have died in the wilderness? Why is the Lord bringing us into this land to fall by the sword? So this is an example of a lack of faith, uh, of, of trust. That's what it really means to basically trust in God. Our wives and our little ones will become a prey. Would it would it not be better for us to go back to Egypt? Just like uh, relating to my situation, my wife's concerned about having titanium in my body, and I'm like, well, you know, if God's going to allow this to occur, because He's still a miracle could happen, and I mean, I'd have the surgery, but if He allows the surgery, I don't believe that God's going to allow some poisonous substance in my system to destroy me. I just don't, I just don't believe that, and that's when you have to trust God. Yeah, and then here, here, here they are. Sure, there's fear and there's concerns, but they don't trust God to protect them from all these uh, foreigners in the land. And you have to, you can do all you can, folks. But there comes a time when you have to just trust God and realize that God is going to do uh, what's best for you, whatever situation you're in. And that's courage. Like this is going to take some courage for me to go through this surgery. Should he want me to go through it? Because like I said, you know, anything can happen. Just like with Abraham, God stopped him just at the last second he was getting ready to kill his son. Well, he could do the same with me. And they can unwrap this arm and say, hey, wait a minute, this looks like it's healed. You know, so it could happen that way. I'm hoping it happens that way. But if he allows me to go through the surgery, I have to trust God that this is the thing that he has ordained and that I'm going to be okay. So anyway. Verse 5, Then Moses and Aaron fell on their faces before all the assembly of the congregation of the people of Israel. And Joshua the son of Nun and Caleb the son of Jephunneh, who were among those who had spied out the land, tore their clothes. That's a way of, of hum, being humble, um, that Jewish tradition, or Israelitish tradition. And said to all the congregation of the people of Israel, The land which we passed through to spy it out is an exceedingly good land. If the Lord delights in us, we, he will bring us into this land and give it to us. And so they were telling the truth, uh, Caleb and, and Joshua. Okay, and remember, Joshua's of the tribe of, of uh, Ephraim, and Caleb is of the tribe of Judah, which is pretty interesting here. But anyway, uh, if the Lord delights in us, he will bring us into the land and give it to us, a land that flows with milk and honey. Milk and honey is ice cream, right? Combined? No, it isn't. Okay, anyway. Only do not rebel against the Lord. And do not fear the people of the land, for they are bread for us. Okay, so this is prophetic in a way because people are rebellious against the Lord today, and we have great fear. As a matter of fact, there's a scripture in the Bible uh, quoted by Jesus that says, when, uh, when the Son of Man comes, shall he find faith on the earth or trust in the earth. So, that's a major problem for a lot of us. Uh, we, we just don't believe that God has our best interests in mind. We don't believe that God is going to do what he says. And 
unfortunately, the children of Israel is a good example of displaying that bad attitude. And we have to, just like 1 Corinthians chapter 10 states, these things are written down for our examples. So we, we have to uh, look at the situation and say, hey, <clears throat> we're not going to act like them. We're going to have faith no matter what. It's like in my situation. I would love God to heal me right now, but that's entirely up to him. He, he promises to heal us, but it's nowhere in the Bible where he says, if you do this, I'm going to heal you immediately. Is there a scripture in the Bible, Sheree, where he says that, that he's going to heal you immediately? I mean, I don't see that anywhere. He doesn't say he's going to heal you immediately. He doesn't say he's going to heal you immediately at the you know very second you think of it, right? I mean, so he's, he's going to do this and he's going to do that. He just doesn't tell you when, okay? And we have a problem, a lot of us, where we expect him to do it on our terms and how we want and the way we envision. And God states in his words that my thoughts are not your thoughts. And we got to stop thinking that God is going to do things the way we expect him to do it with our little finite minds. Finite mean, meaning limited. You know, we've got to realize that this creator of ours knows much more than us. He created the arm. So should I doubt what method he uses to correct my my hand and arm? No. We have to trust him. You should worry if you're wicked, if you don't do things right, if you're continuously sinning and don't repent. Yeah, you have every reason to worry. But if you're doing all you can, as I am, I can honestly say that. I'm not perfect. I still sin occasionally. Uh, what I do is repent, and I do the best I can. I change. And if you're doing that, God promises to get you out of any situation that you get yourselves into. And that's something that, unfortunately, the ancient Israelites, with the exception of Moses, Aaron, and uh, Miriam, and uh, Jake, uh, what's his name? Caleb and uh, Joshua. It's like all the majority of them uh, did not obey God like they should have. You know, uh, certain other Levites did too. But the majority of the population, as you're going to read here, was cursed because of their unbelief and their attitude problem. But anyway, in verse uh, nine, <clears throat> only do not rebel against the Lord, and do not fear the people of the land. For they are bred for us. This type of fear is cowardly fear. The fear, you know, we all have fears. Just like in, in, in my room here, it, all of a sudden a, a, a flame monster said, hmm, I want to eat you up. Am I going to sit there? No, I'm going to run away from it, right? I'm going to run away from that flame monster. I'm just giving a you know, silly example so you understand what I'm saying. I'm going to run away from it. That's right fear. You know, <laughs> you know you're going to have to do and, and I for me to run away from it, I have the courage to do something about that fear. That's healthy fear. The fear he's talking about here is cowardly fear. God says he's going to do something. You don't believe it and you don't do it. That's being a coward. That's being a coward. All right. Uh, do not fear the people of the land, for they are bread for us. In other words, we're going to eat them up. That's what he's saying. Their protection is removed from them. And the Lord is with us. Do not fear them. It takes courage to believe in God. It takes courage to trust God. Then all the congregation assembly said to, 
said to stone them with stones. So, you know, Jesus was the only one that was always had to deal with the stoning. Not always, but more often than not. You know, they wanted to stone Moses. So, so you know, a prophet like Moses, he's definitely a prophet like Moses because uh, they also wanted to stone him, you know. So anyway, this is where I came from. They, the congregation wanted to stone them with stones. But the glory of the Lord appeared at the tent of meeting to all the people of Israel. And the Lord said to Moses, How long will this people despise me? That's how you despise God, by not trusting him. That thinking he's lying to you. God, folks, does not lie. We may have a problem lying, but God does not lie and he never will lie. And when you think God lies, when you don't have faith in God, you're calling God a liar. You really are. When God says he's going to do something and you don't believe it, that's what you're calling God. You're calling him a liar. He don't like that. He doesn't like when you don't believe what he says. How long would this people despise me? And that's how you despise God. And how long will they not believe in me in spite of all the signs that I have done among them? I can't blame them. I really can't. I will strike them with the pestilence and disinherit them. And I will make you of a nation greater and mightier than they. Now, folks, you have Moses to appreciate uh, intervening because if he didn't, <laughs> we all would have came through Moses. Okay, but anyway, verse 13. But Moses said to the Lord, Then the Egyptians will hear of it. So you brought up this people in your might from among them, and they will tell the inhabitants of this land. They have heard that you, O Lord, are in the midst of this people. For you, O Lord, are seen for you, O Lord, are seen face to face, and your cloud stands over them, and you go before them in a pillar of a cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. Now if you kill this people as one man, then the nations who have heard your fame will say it is because the Lord was not able to bring this people into the land that he swore to give to them that he has killed them in the wilderness. And now, please, let the power of the Lord be great as you have promised, saying, The Lord is slow to anger. Smart guy, Moses, isn't he? <laughs> the Lord is slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love, forgiving iniquity and transgression. But he will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children, to the third and the fourth generation. Now notice these are the children that don't repent. He's going to visit the iniquity. Because in Ezekiel chapter 18, it has a father and son scenario where it says that if the son sees his father's sins and he repents of them, then none of the father's you know, sins will be put on them. So this is in the context of if the, if the children continue to to do what their father should not be doing, then yes, those curses will affect that generation. Anyway, verse 19, Please pardon the iniquity of this people according to the greatness of your steadfast love just as you have forgiven this people from Egypt until now. So this was a great one of the greatest prayers that Moses ever prayed for. And then verse 20, Then the Lord said, I have pardoned according to your word. So God respected that. And you can talk to God like this, folks. I do. You know, be careful how you do it, though. But talk to him boldly with courage. This was an example of courage. And Moses displayed it here. And God realized he made a good point there. Yeah, um, my reputation is not going to be so hot here. So, yeah, let me 
I, you know, I, I understand what you're saying, you know. So verse 20, then the Lord said, I have pardoned according to your word, but truly as I live and as all the earth shall be filled with the glory of the Lord. That's a prophecy, because it certainly isn't filled with the glory of the Lord right now. None of the men who have seen my glory and my signs that I did in Egypt and in the wilderness and yet have put me to the test these ten times and have not obeyed my voice shall see that's ten times. That's ridiculous. Shall see the land that I swore to give to their fathers, and none of those who despise me shall see it. But my servant Caleb, and of course Joshua, uh, because he has a different spirit and has followed me fully, I will bring into the land into just one person out of all those folks. That's 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 terrible. And then Joshua. I will bring into the land into which he went, and his descendants shall possess it. Now since the Amalekites and the Canaanites dwell in the valleys, turn tomorrow and set out for the wilderness by the way to the Red Sea. Verse 26. And the Lord spoke to Moses and to Aaron, saying, How long shall this wicked congregation grumble against me? I have heard the grumblings of the people of Israel, which they grumble against me. Say to them, As I live, declares the Lord, what you have said in my hearing I will do to you, your dead bodies shall fall in this wilderness. Don't want to make God angry at you, folks. Okay, I'm just telling you. I'm warning you. Yeah, yeah, the Jew, yeah. Exactly, right. And of all the number listed in the census from 20 years old and upward who have grumbled against me, not one shall come into the land where I swore that I would make you dwell, except Caleb, the son of Jeponiah, and Joshua, the son of Nun, Caleb representing the tribe of Judah, and Joshua representing the tribe of Ephraim, which consists of today, yes, um, in the United States and uh, Britain. That's not a Bible study. But anyway, verse 31. But your little ones, who you said would become a prey, I will bring in, and they shall know the land that you have rejected. But as for you, your dead body shall fall in this wilderness, and your children shall be shepherds in the wilderness forty years, and shall suffer for your faithlessness, for your faithlessness or trustlessness, until the last of your dead bodies lies in the wilderness. According to the number of days in which you spied out the land, forty days a year for each day, you shall bear your iniquity forty years. And you shall know my displeasure. I, the Lord, have spoken. Surely this will... I do to all this wicked congregation who are gathered together against me. In this wilderness they shall come to a full end, and there they shall die. Okay, so God rightfully is punishing them. Ten times. Ten times that they show that they would not trust God. Verse 36, And the men whom Moses sent to spy out the land who returned and made all the congregation grumble against him by bringing up a bad report about the land, the men who brought up a bad reported land died by plague before the Lord. Of those men who were despised out the land, only Joshua the son of Nun and Caleb the son of Jeponiah, Jephunneh, I guess, remain alive. Verse 39, When Moses told these words to all the people of Israel, the people mourned greatly. And they rose early in the morning and went up to the heights of the hill country, saying, Here we are where we go up to the place that the Lord had promised, for we have sinned. But Moses said, Why now are you transgressing the command of the Lord when... That will not succeed. Do not go up, for the Lord is not among you, that not you be struck down before your enemies. Of course, uh, the children of Israel have it, as it is today. They just don't want to obey God or his representatives. 
Verse 43, for there the Amalekites and the Canaanites are facing you, and you shall fall by the sword, because you have turned back from following the Lord. The Lord will not be with you. Now, it's a servant of God was telling me that I ain't doing I'm going to obey what he says, but, of course, they didn't want to obey. But they presumed to go up to the heights of the hill country. That's an act of rebellion again. Although neither the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord nor Moses departed out of the camp. Then the Amalekites and the Canaanites who lived in that hill country came down and defeated them and pursued them even to Harma. So exactly the way he said it happened, folks. Chapter 15, verse 1. The Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the people of Israel and say to them, When you go into the land, you are to inhabit, which I am giving you, and you offer to the Lord from the herd or from the flock a food offering or a burnt offering or a sacrifice to fulfill a vow or as a free will offering, or at your appointed feast to make a pleasing aroma to the Lord. Then he who brings his offering shall offer to the Lord a grain, offering a tenth of an ephah of fine flour, mixed with a quarter of hen of oil, and you shall offer it with the burnt offering or the sacrifice or quarter of hen of wine for the drink offering for each lamb. Or for a ram you shall offer for a grain offering two tenths of an ephah of fine flour, mixed with a third of a hen of oil. And for the drink offering you shall offer a third of a hen of wine, rather, a pleasing aroma to the Lord. And when you offer a bull as a burnt offering or sacrifice to fulfill a vow, or for peace offerings to the Lord, then once you offer with the bull a grain offering of three-tenths of an ephah of flying flour, mixed with half a hen of oil, and you shall offer for the drink offering half a hen of wine as a food offering, a pleasing aroma to the Lord. Thus it shall be done for each bull or ram, for each lamb or young goat. Now remember the sacrifices, sure, it represents the ultimate sacrifice of Christ, but it also represents uh, you consistently giving your resources to other people. It, it encourages you to give. That's also why God created the sacrifices. As many as you offer, so shall you do with each one as many as there are. Every native Israelite shall do these things in this way, an offering a food offering with a pleasing aroma to the Lord. And if a stranger is sojourning with you, or anyone is living permanently among you, and he wishes to offer a food offering with a pleasing aroma to the Lord, he shall do as you do. For the assembly, there shall be one statue. Here's another scripture that I love here. Uh, for the assembly, there shall be one statue for you and for your stranger who is sojourns with you, a statue forever throughout your generations. God's law is for everyone. You and the sojourner shall be alike before the Lord. One law and one rule shall be for you and for the stranger who sojourns with you. Verse 17. The Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the people of Israel and say to them, When you come into the land to which I bring you, and when you eat of the bread of the land, you shall present a contribution to the Lord. Of the first of your dough, you shall present a loaf as a, a contribution, like a contribution from the threshing floor, so shall you present it. Some of the first of your dough shall give to the Lord a contribution throughout your generations. But if you sin unintentionally and do not observe all these commands that the Lord has spoken to Moses, all that the Lord has commanded you by Moses from the day that the Lord gave commandment and onward throughout your generation, then it is then if it was done unintentionally without the knowledge of the congregation, all the congregation shall offer one bull from the herd for a burnt offering or pleasing aroma. Turn the page here. To the Lord, with his grain offering and his drink offering, according to the rule, and one male goat for a sin offering. And the priest shall make atonement. The priest shall make atonement for all the congregation and people of Israel, and they shall be forgiven because it was a mistake, and they have brought their offering, or food offering, to the Lord, and their sin offering before the Lord for their mistake. 
And all the congregation of the people of Israel shall be forgiven, and the stranger who sojourns among them, because the whole population was involved in the mistake. And all the congregation of the people of Israel shall be forgiven. Okay, whatever. I said that already. Verse 27. If one person sins unintentionally, he shall offer a female goat a year old for a sin offering. And the priest shall make atonement before the Lord for the person who makes a mistake when he sins unintentionally to make atonement for him. And he shall be forgiven. You shall have one law. Again, he's stressing this. You shall have one law for him who does anything unintentionally for him who is native among the people of Israel and for the stranger who sojourns among them. But the person who does anything with a high hand, whether he is a native or sojourner, reviles the Lord, and that person shall be cut off from among his people. Because he has despised the word of the Lord and has broken the commandment, that person shall be utterly cut off, his iniquity shall be on him. Verse 32, while the people of Israel were in the wilderness, they found a man gathering sticks on the Sabbath day. And those who found him gathering sticks brought him to Moses and Aaron to all the congregation. They put him in custody because it had not been made clear what he what should be done to him. And the Lord said to him, the man shall be, in other words, he was put, just like when somebody's arrested, they're put in custody, right? But well, he was. And then and the Lord said to Moses, the man shall be put to death, and all the congregation shall stone him with stones outside the camp. And all the congregation brought him outside the camp and stoned him to death with stones, as the Lord commanded Moses. So, you know, God takes uh, keeping the Shabbat seriously, folks. And obviously this guy didn't care, and he was doing his normal duties that he usually does uh, on the Shabbat, and he didn't like that. Anyway, verse 37. Again, these laws about killing people, that's not really enforced right now because uh, most countries aren't keeping God's law. They're not set up the way the nation of Israel was. So this is temporarily suspended, this law, even though there's certain elements of capital punishment that um, are obviously uh, enforced today. Like uh, if somebody murders someone intentionally, uh, there is a death penalty. But they take too long to execute that death penalty. But it's not for, I guess the point I'm making, is not for us to take stones and stone someone and so forth. I mean, that that's something that happened back then. It will be reinforced in the future when Yeshua comes back, that part of the law. But right now, that's not enforced. So anyway, Numbers 15, verse 37. The Lord said to Moses, Speak to the people of Israel and tell them to make tassels on the corners of their garments throughout their generations and to put a cord of blue on the tassel of each corner. And it shall be a tassel for you to look at and remember all the commandments of the Lord. This is a zitzit. To do them, not to follow after your own heart and with your own eyes, which you are inclined to whore after. So these zitzit, which really should be worn whenever you fellowship with uh, someone uh, of like mind, uh, having a meal or a, an assembly to worship, so forth, uh, you should wear it around each other to remind each other to keep the law. And it actually helps you toward lusting and uh, and desiring things that you really don't need. Uh, verse 40, so you shall remember and do all my commandments and be holy to your Lord. So the, the fringes or the zitzit help you to do that. Um, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt to be your God. I am the Lord your God. And so uh, I know certain, um, if you type in zitzit, there's some, there's some uh, sources where you can get these things. And you should wear them uh, when you're around each other to remind you uh, to keep the law. Okay. To the Haftor section, Joshua chapter 2.
Or you can wear them by yourself. Or if you're going to work, you can wear them underneath your clothes, you know, and take them out and look at them and pray to God to help you um, remember to obey Him. Joshua chapter 2. They can be expensive, though. <laughs> but you should try to get those that you can afford. Joshua chapter 2, starting in verse 1. And Joshua the son of Nun sent out two men secretly for Shittim. Yes, that word is Shittim. As spies, saying, Go, view the land, especially Jericho. And they went and, and came into the house of a prostitute. Okay, this is Rahab here. Whose name is Rahab and lodged there. And it was told to the king of Jericho. Behold, men of Israel have come here tonight to search out the land. And the king of Jericho sent to Rahab, saying, Bring out the men who have come to you, who have entered your house, for they have come to search out all the land. But the woman had taken the two men and hidden them. And she said, True, the men came to me, but I did not know where they came from. And when the gate was about to be closed and dark, the men went out, and she lied here. I do not know where the men went. Pursue them quickly, for you will overtake them. Now people say, Well, it's okay to lie in a situation like this. Well, God never said that, uh, but he did give her credit anyway. It was good intentions. It was good intentions. So that's why he gave her credit. But it really is not good to lie about anything. I mean, God doesn't lie, no matter what, so why should we? So anyway, um, but she had good intentions, and he knows they're not perfect, but her, her, her heart was right. Verse 6, but she had brought them to the roof and hid them with the stalks of flax that she laid in order on the roof. So the men pursued after them on the way to the Jordan as far as the forest, and the gate was shut as soon as the pursuers had gone out. Verse 8, Before the men lay down, she came up to them on the roof and said to them, I know that the Lord is giving you the land, and that the fear of you has fallen upon us, and that all the inhabitants of the land melt away before you. For we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea before you when you came out of Egypt, and what you did to the two kings of the Amorites who were beyond the Jordan. So she's exercising trust here in God. And she's not even at this time a believer. To Zion and Or, whom you devote, whom you devoted to destruction. And as soon as we heard it, our hearts melted, and there was no spirit left in any man because of you. For the Lord your God, He is God in the heavens above and on the earth beneath. She got more faith than all of Israel, you know. But anyway, now, now then, please swear to me by the Lord that as I have dealt kindly with you, you also will deal kindly with my father's house, and give me a sure sign that you will save alive my father and mother, my brothers and sisters and all who belong to them and deliver our lives from death. What great faith she has. And the men said to her, Our life for yours even to death. If you do not tell this business of ours, then then when the Lord gives us the land, we will deal kindly and faithfully with you. Verse 15, Then she let them down by a rope through the window, for her house was built into the city wall, so that she lived in the wall. And she said to them, Go into the hills, or the pursuers will encounter you, and hide there three days until the pursuers have returned. Then afterward you may go your way. The men said to her, We will be guiltless with respect to this oath of yours that you have made us swear. Behold, when we come into the land, you shall tie this scarlet cord in the window through which you let us down. And you shall gather into your house your father and mother, your brothers, and all your father's household. Then if anyone goes out of the doors of your house into the street, his blood shall be on his own head, and we shall be guiltless. But if a hand is laid on anyone who is with you in the house, his blood shall be on our head. But if you tell this business of ours, then we shall be guiltless with respect to your oath that you have made us swear. Pretty fair arrangements. 
And she said, According to your words, so be it. Then she sent them away, and they departed, and she tied the scarlet cord in the window. Verse 22, They departed and went into the hills and remained there three days until the pursuers returned, and the pursuers searched all along the way and found nothing. Then the two men returned. Then the two men returned. And the pursuers searched all all along the way and found nothing. Then the two men, okay, returned. Then came down from the hills and passed over and came to Joshua, the son of Nun. And they told him all that had happened to them. And they said to Joshua, Truly the Lord has given all the land into our hands, and also all the inhabitants of the land melt away because of us. So this is another example, a good example, not a bad example, of someone who, ironically, uh, was a Gentile, and she expressed better faith than all of Israel. So that is the prophetic the prophet section, and we're going to go to the renewed covenant agreement section. Uh, we're going to begin with Hebrews chapter 11, because that is what is commonly known as the faith chapter. Hebrews chapter 11. Now, faith or trust is the assurance of things hoped for, for the conviction of things not seen. For it, by the people of old, received their commendation. Their commendation. By faith or trust, we understand that the universe was created by the word of God, or Yeshua, Jesus, so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. So what we see today, folks, is not made by things that are visible. It was made by God who because he chooses, is not visible. Verse 4, By trust, Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain, through which he was commended as righteous, God commending him by accepting his gifts. And through his faith, though he died, he, speak, he still speaks. By faith, Enoch was taken up so that he should not see death, and he was not found because God had taken him. I know many people think he knocks in heaven. What they're saying is that he, his body was taken somewhere. Uh, just like Moses' body was taken somewhere to be buried. Verse 6, and without faith it is pot and plot and, I'm sorry, verse 6. And without faith it is impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. Verse 7, by faith Noah, being warned by God concerning events as yet unseen, and reverent fear constructed an ark for the saving of his household. By this he condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. By faith Abraham obeyed when he was called to go to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. By faith he went to live in the land of promise as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city that has foundations. He's talking about the New Jerusalem. It's uh, described in Revelation chapter 21. Uh, verse 10, For he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. By faith, Sarah herself received power to conceive, even when she was past the age since she considered him faithful who had promised. Therefore, from one man and him as good as dead, were born descendants as many as the stars of heaven 
and as many as innumerable grains of sand by the seashore. These all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar, and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. For people who speak thus make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. If they had been thinking of that land from which they had gone out, they would have had opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country, that is, a heavenly one. Therefore God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared them a city. He's talking about, again, the city of New Jerusalem that will come down out of heaven. In Revelation chapter 21, verse 17. By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac, and he who had received the promises was in the act of offering up his only son, of whom it was said, Through Isaac shall your offspring be named. He considered that God was able to, that God was able even to raise him from the dead, from which, figuratively speaking, he did did receive him back by faith. So what it's saying is Abraham realized that even if God would have killed Isaac or allowed him to kill Isaac, he would have raised him anyway. That's, that's the kind of faith that Abraham had. Verse 20, by Isaac, by faith or by trust, Isaac invoked future blessings on Jacob and Esau. By faith, Jacob, when dying, blessed each of the sons of Joseph, bowing in worship over the head of his staff. By faith, Joseph, at the end of his life, made mention of the exodus of the Israelites and gave directions concerning his bones. So God is just telling you that these folks had great trust in him. Verse 23, by faith or trust, Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents. So his parents executed faith here because they saw that the child was beautiful and they were not afraid of the king's edict. By faith, Moses, when he was grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. And see, there's pleasures in sin, folks, but it's fleeting. It never lasts. You have to keep on doing it, just like if you're addicted with anything. What happens? You have to keep on doing it, right? Keep on doing it. Keep on doing it. It's fleeting. It's not, it doesn't last for long. And there is pleasure in sin, but the pleasure does not last. I, you know, I don't know about you guys but or girls. I want my pleasure to last. Anyway, verse 26. He considered the reproach of Christ greater, greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt. For he was looking to the, to the reward. What's the reward? The reward is immortality, rulership, authority, glory, power. That's the reward. Verse 27, by faith he left Egypt, talking about Moses again, not being afraid of the anger of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. By faith he kept Passover and sprinkled the blood so that the destroyer of the firstborn might not touch them. Verse 29, by faith the people crossed the Red Sea as on dry land, but the Egyptians, when they attempted to do the same, were drowned. By faith the walls of Jericho fell down after they had been encircled, for seven days, by faith, Rahab, we just got to reading about Rahab, right? The prostitute did not perish with those who were disobedient because she had given a friendly welcome to the spies. Verse 32, and what more shall I say? For time would fail me to tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, uh, Jephthah, of David and Samuel and the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms. They did this all through trust in God. They conquered kingdoms. Enforced justice, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched 
the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, were made strong out of weakness. So whenever you are weak, God wants to make you strong out of that weakness. Became mighty in war. Nothing wrong with a warrior if you're fighting righteous wars. Put foreign armies to flight. Women received back their dead by resurrection. This is referring to um, the situation with uh, Elijah. He resurrected someone. All right. Uh, hopefully someone else is not going to break their arm or something around here. Anyway, some were tortured, refusing to accept release so that they might rise again to a better life. Others suffered mocking and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawn in two. Now, if you you sawed in two, in most cases, a bone is broken too. Isn't it? So Isaiah was sawed in two. So there's a case, another again, of a broken bone, right? Uh, they were killed with the sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated. You know, <laughs> folks, again, being a believer is not easy. I mean, a true believer. And you could go through this. You can go through being stoned, sawn into, killed with the sword. Today, the sword is uh, a bullet. They went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated. Have you ever gone through that? Being destitute, afflicted, mistreated. Of whom the world was not worthy. I know the world is not worthy of me, not because of any um, righteousness uh, that I have within myself, but because if I am righteous, it's because God, I'm disobeying God. That's what makes you a righteous person, not you, but you obeying God's law, the willingness to do it. But if you are truly righteous, the world is not worthy of you. That's what the Bible says. Uh, it says, of whom the world was not worthy. Wandering about in deserts and mountains, and in dens and caves of the earth. When um, I was 20 years old, I began my journey of destitution. I was, uh, it felt like I was kicked out, but uh, my family didn't want me to live with them anymore. So I, I because of religious reasons. And uh, the first place that I lived was in Gary, Indiana. Gary, Indiana, for those who don't know, is where Michael Jackson was born, in the Jacksons. I'm sure most people know that. But what you may not know is that Gary is one of the poorest cities in the United States. And when I when I moved there, it looked like Rambo went through the whole neighborhood, or the whole area. Uh, it's, it's just uh, the, the, the good part of Gary is called Merrillville. The bad part of Gary is Gary, okay, and it's, it's horrible. It's, it's probably far worse. This was back in the, in the mid-'80s, toward the end of the uh, latter part of the 80s. So I know it's really horrible now. But uh, unless they've rebuilt it. But uh, the point I'm making is that I can relate to the scripture very well. I traveled, and I, I must have lived in three or four or five different locations, and, and uh, several locations in three years, all because I wanted to keep the Shabbat and my family. I'm not giving names, but uh, they didn't understand that. The authority in the families didn't understand that, and I had to obey my Father in Heaven, first. And uh, that's just the way it is. And when you do that, things like this happen. Uh, when you 
take up your cross, as Christ commands us to do. Things like this happen. So, uh, since God says, and all these to commend to their faith did not receive what was promised, since God had provided something better for us, that apart from us they should not be made perfect or complete. And so, um, forsaking parents, mothers, fathers, whatever, you know, God requires you to do that. Let me look at some other scriptures here if I can get my arm over here. Let's see how much time we have left here. Oh, we got plenty of time, 17 minutes. I mean, we can't even value our parents above God. You know, that's that's God wants us to <laughs> put Him first, and you know some parents don't like that. They they don't like that. They don't like that you're putting God ahead of them, and they're going to be mildly judged for that, for acting like that. You know, because they you know parents should teach their parents. I mean, parents ought to teach <laughs> not their parents, but parents should teach their kids that God is even more important than them. They should be teaching. If they're not teaching them that then that's sad, but that's what they should be doing. Let's see, where is this at? Uh, let's see. I know that scripture, you sure he talks about parents. Here we go. And I know it says hate in this, but it doesn't really mean hate. Let me look at another version here. Yeah, well, it does mean hate. Okay, I like this translation better. This is the easy-to-read version. Luke 14, verse 26. If you come to me but will not leave your family, you cannot be my follower. You must love me more than your father, mother, wife, children, brothers, and sisters, even more than your own life. Verse 27, whoever will not carry the cross that is given to them when they follow me cannot be my follower. And then he says, if you wanted to build a building, you would first sit down and decide how much it would cost. You must see if you have enough money to finish the job. If you don't do that, you might begin to work, but you would not be able to finish. And if you could not finish it, everyone would laugh at you. Then they would say, this man began to build and he was not able to finish. Verse 31, if a king is going to fight against another king, first he will sit down and plan. If he has only 10,000 men, he will try to decide if he is able to defeat the king who has 20,000 men. If he thinks he cannot defeat the other king, he will send some men to ask for peace while that king's army is still far away. It is the same each for you. You must leave everything you have to follow me. If not, you cannot be my follower. That's pretty plain, folks. Uh, if you are not willing to give up everything, including your life, you're just playing around saying you're a believer. Luke 14, verse 26 to 33. So you, you need to, to understand that, and, and God requires you to have faith and total trust in him. And you must be willing to give everything, even if it's your life. You have a problem with that? You you need to really question your belief in Jesus, because Jesus said this in red letters. It was from Him. Okay, so that's Hebrews chapter eleven.
we are going to go to James chapter 2, because many people don't understand that you have to do something. You can't just say, I believe, 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 I believe. I mean, that's, that's, that's not Christianity. That's some other junk from outer space. I don't know, for some reason I'm thinking about a Bugs Bunny character, that real dark, with a little Roman helmet on. Anyway, uh, let's see. Maybe this fall is making me think crazy stuff. Anyway, um, James chapter 2. James chapter 2, starting in verse 17. The fall that produced my broken arm here. James chapter 2, verse 17. So also, trust by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. So, you looked at the examples that we studied today, the, the rebellious children of Israel, the majority of them. Uh, remember in Exodus, they said, yes, whatever the Lord commands, we will do, right? And one of the greatest lies ever in the history of mankind. Uh, we know that the majority of them didn't obey God. Saying that you're going to do something and not doing it shows that you... Aren't, don't have the faith. You have to prove you believe in God. You have to prove that you have trust in God by your actions. God does not want lip service. He wants you to to prove to him that you believe him. And that's what the works part is all about. He's going to reward us according to our deeds, not about what we say. That's why he says it's great if you can say it and do it. You're a great person. But he really focuses on what you do. So anyway, one of the um, the basic doctrines of God, the very first one that is listed in Hebrews 6, verses 1 and 2, is repentance from dead works. And then it talks about, not surprisingly, faith as being the next doctrine of God or Jesus. They're interwoven together. You have to change from dead works from doing nothing in a religious context what is pure religion James 1 verse 27 pure religion is visiting the fathers and the widows in their distress and to keep oneself unspotted from the world James 1 verse 27 we must do those kind of works those are alive works the opposite of alive works are dead works. And that's something that we must avoid. And that's one of the primary doctrines. As a matter of fact, the first basic doctrine of God. Anyway, show me your faith. Wait a minute. So also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. Is dead. Totally dead. Verse 18, but someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works, and I will show you my faith by my works. This is James, the literal half-brother of Jesus, talking under the inspiration of God. You believe that God is one, you do well. Even the demons believe, they believe there's a God, and shudder. Now, we know demons don't have alive works. Their works are dead. 
That's why they will be dead one day, totally destroyed. Their belief is that they believe in God. They know God exists. How can they deny it? They 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 have actually seen God, the angels. So of course they believe, but they don't believe in a way where they trust Him with their lives. That that uh, they they don't feel comfortable about God because they rebel. Whenever you rebel and don't obey somebody, you don't feel comfortable about what they tell you. You don't agree with their rulings and regulations. So God doesn't look at the demon's belief as being faith or godly faith or trust. Verse um, 20, do you want to be shown, you foolish person, that faith apart from works is useless? People that claim to be Christians, they state that the law of Moses, which they don't understand is the law of God, was nailed to the cross. What they don't really seem to, to understand is that if you nail the law of Moses, which is really the law of God, the only reason why it's called the law of Moses is because God used Moses to give the law to the people. There's no difference between it because without God, it would Moses would not have a law to give. If you eliminate the law of Moses, then how do you obey God? How? How do you obey God? The law is the written instruction on the works you must do to prove to God that you obey, uh, that you trust him. So how can you do works without the law of Moses? The law of Moses contains the commandments, the statutes, and the ordinance, which is the law of God. And this is what Christianity teaches today. They teach that Jesus came to destroy the prophets, uh, and he said, don't, you know, in Matthew 5, verse 17, he stated, hey, don't come, don't think that I came to destroy the law of the prophets. Um, so he, he said that he did not come to destroy the law of the prophets. And one of the prophets is Moses himself. I wish he would have came to destroy sleep in some cases. But anyway, um especially when we try to pay attention in Bible study. But anyway, verse 20. Um, Do you not want to be shown, you foolish person, that faith apart from works is useless? Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? Here we go. Perfect example. One of the most perfect examples to use to understand what trust is all about. And we know the story of Abraham, right? We know that he was willing. He didn't like it. When you trust God sometimes, uh, it's like I ain't going to like somebody drilling my, cutting open my skin and putting a titanium metal, whatever it is, in, in, in my wrist. But if I don't do this, my, you know, I'm not going to be able to type and write anymore, which is one of the primary thing that I do for a living, along with talking to people. goes goes together. And I would have to learn how to type with one hand, which would be difficult. It would take probably a year for me to learn how to type with one hand. But above that, I have other people to consider. It's not like it's, it's not the one-man show for me. I have a son to take care of. I have a wife to take care of. What if something happens to her? You know, So I have to take that all into consideration. And this is the best route for me to take. So anyway, verse 20, do, do you want to be shown, you foolish person, that faith apart from works is useless? 
Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? You see that faith was active along with his works, and faith was completed by his works. And the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. Righteousness, Psalm 119, verse 172, is the commandments of God. And he was called a friend of God. You will all be called a friend of God if you just obey him. Don't you want to be friends of God? I do. Who wouldn't? What a friend. That's a friend you could rely on. That's a friend that will never lie to you. That's a friend that will always be there for you. That's a friend who's all-powerful. That's a friend that can do everything, and I mean everything, for you, and can do anything. Just like Gabriel stated in the Gospels that with God, all is possible. Nothing is impossible for God. What a friend. That's the kind of friend I would like to have. I don't know about you folks. Well, of course, logically, I hope. You're thinking straight, and you would love to have a friend like that. There's no friend on the earth like that. You see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. And in the same way, was not also Rahab who we studied today? And she was a prostitute. That's the reason why Christ said to the Pharisees and the modern rabbis of today that the tax collectors and prostitutes were making it to the kingdom of God before you. And why does he say that? Because the rabbis think that their interpretation of the Bible is better than God's interpretation of the Bible. They believe that the oral law is immaculate, is inspired. And there's nowhere in the Bible that it says that it is. The oral law is just the Jews' interpretation of the Bible. Some of it is correct. Some of it is wacky. That is the truth. What was nailed to the cross, in addition to any dogma that is against the law of God, was that. Not the law of Moses. Not the written law of Moses. And, of course, uh, Jews today, particularly Orthodox Jews, believe that God gave Moses two laws. And there's nowhere in the Bible that can be proven that that's the case. He gave, of course, Moses the written law, and he gave him an oral law to help interpret the law. Now, no doubt, traditionally throughout the years, the tradition of uh, interpreting the Scripture was carried on. But to say that that was all inspired, that's not correct. If you just read the Talmud, uh, you can tell that some of that stuff was definitely not inspired of God. Okay, when you compare it to the written word of God, you have to compare it to the written word of God to accept any tradition, whether it's Jewish or whatever. If it makes sense, if it enhances the scriptures, doesn't take away the full meaning of it, accept it. If, if it does, if it uh, does take away the meaning of the scriptures and puts it in an incorrect light, don't accept it. That's the rule, and that's one of the things that Christ taught when he was on the earth to the Pharisees, which are the modern rabbis of today. And in the same way was not also Rahab the prostitute justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way. For as Now notice that it didn't talk about how she lied. It talked about the good part of what she did, okay, which was she received the messengers and sent them out in another way. Verse 26, for as the body apart from the spirit is dead. So it says the body apart from the spirit is dead. So that is a simple explanation, folks, of death. When you die, your spirit is separated from your body. When your spirit is separated from your body, you're dead. 
So also faith, apart from works, is dead. So I really hope that you understand that you've got to keep the commandments of God. Sure, keeping the commandments don't save you, but it's a, it's, it's a role in it. If you don't keep the commandments, God's not going to say, okay, I'm going to give you my gift that you didn't earn anyway. My son did, of eternal life. To receive the gift, you must obey the commandments. Don't let anyone else fool you about that. Because I've heard more ministers and uh, so-called ministers saying that, oh, you, gotta, you know, uh, we, 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 we don't earn salvation. True, you don't earn salvation. However, you have to qualify for it. <laughs> and to qualify for it, you have to keep the commandments. Okay, that, that's simple. Why would he tell you, if you didn't have to qualify for salvation, there would be nothing for you to do. You just lay back, okay, Christ died for me, I just lay back and, and kick back and sin all the time and do what I want. And then, you know, when I die, so what? And, you know, I'm in the kingdom. You know, No, it's not that easy, folks. He who overcomes shall inherit the kingdom of God. It doesn't say he who has an easy street shall make it into the kingdom of God. It doesn't say that. So anyway, me and my broken wrist will tell you bye today. And be praying for me that I don't have to have this surgery. Um, and I'll be able to let you know next week if I've had it. And may God bless and keep you and protect you. And God willing, I'll be available to speak to you next week. Malachi chapter 4 For behold, the day cometh that shall burn as an oven, and all the proud, yea, and all that do wickedly shall be stubble. And the day that cometh shall burn them up, saith the Lord of hosts, that it shall leave them neither root nor branch. But unto you that fear my name shall the Son of Righteousness arise with healing in his wings, and ye shall go forth and grow up as calves of the stall. And ye shall tread down the wicked, for they shall be ashes under the soles of your feet in the day that I shall do this, saith the Lord of hosts. Remember ye the law of Moses my servant, which I commanded unto him in Horeb for all Israel, with the statutes and judgments. Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. And he shall turn the heart of the fathers to the children, and the heart of the children to their fathers, lest I come and smite the earth with a curse. 